Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Hello and welcome to Pro-Life Primetime News. Today is Friday, December 1st. I'm Leslie Palmer. And I'm Teresa Watson. We're so happy to have you with us tonight. In our top story, we'll be joined by Andrew Chervell, founder of Florida Voice for the Unborn. He'll tell us about tomorrow's decline to sign day of action to defeat an effort to add pro-abortion amendment to the state constitution. This week, Priests for Life filed a Freedom of Information Act request to get to the bottom of the Biden administration's targeting of pro-lifers and Catholics. National Director Frank Pavone will talk about what we hope to learn. In political news in a nutshell, I'll report on Donald Trump's legal strategy to sow doubt about the results of the 2020 election as his legal team makes the case that the former president's skepticism was justified and not motivated by criminal intent. In abortion in the news, I'll tell you about a case before the Texas Supreme Court that seeks to clarify when physicians in the state can legally perform abortions. We'll close to a tribute to longtime pro-life activist Chris Slattery, who died November 22nd. Please stay with us. In the days and weeks after Roe v. Wade was overturned last year, it became a challenge to keep up with the changing abortion landscape across the country as various states moved to protect babies and moms within their borders. Then the new hurdle became keeping up with the court orders that either upheld or blocked these laws. Now those of us keeping track and are trying to stay current with states attempting to put ballot initiatives in front of voters in 2024 to invent a right to abortion in their constitutions. Every day, it seems, abortion advocates or lawmakers add their states to the mix. But an effort to turn abortion into a constitutional right in Florida has long been underway, and pro-lifers hoping to thwart that effort have declared December 2nd, tomorrow, a decline to sign day of action. We've invited Andrew Sherville, founder and executive director of Florida Voice for the Unborn, to talk about the proposed referendum and how pro-lifers can help stop it. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Thank you, Leslie and Teresa, for having me on. Well, thank you for joining us. So tell us about the proposed amendment itself. How would it change the Florida Constitution? The proposed pro-abortion amendment is actually cleverly titled uh, Amendment to Limit Government Interference with Abortion. And uh, it's actually very simple. It's only one sentence, and it would basically create a supercharged state constitutional right to access abortion up until the moment of birth. And uh, what we've seen in other states is that the pro-abortion side has added all sorts of other things into the mix, like contraception and other things to confuse voters. But here in Florida, they've stuck to just abortion access. Well, abortion advocates need more than 891,000 valid signatures by February 1st to get the proposal on the ballot. And I read a story this week that they, they say they are confident they'll reach that total. What can organizations like yours and individual pro-lifers do to stop them? Well, the crucial thing to do is to be very proactive. Uh, the pro-life movement cannot afford to have these uh, pro-abortion ballot initiatives uh, going forth for voters to consider in the general elections. So we have to do everything possible right now to stop this uh, evil uh, proposed constitutional amendment from reaching the November 2024 ballot here in Florida. And that means 
participating in Florida Voice for the Unborn's decline to sign campaign. So we're asking pro-life grassroots advocates all over the Sunshine State to do a couple of things to thwart the pro-abortion efforts as we close in on the petition gathering uh, uh, deadline of February 1st, 2024. First, we need to pray. We need to get on our knees and continue to beg God that the pro-abortion side will come up short of the needed uh, signatures by the deadline. And Florida Voice for the Unborn has been uh, organizing uh, virtual prayer gatherings every month uh, since August of this year to uh, ask for spiritual guidance from our Lord uh, as to how we can best combat this evil pro-abortion initiative. Second, we uh, are asking pro-life grassroots advocates to go around and educate their fellow citizens about this initiative. So we have flyers and we have cards posted on our website that you can download, that you can print off, that you can also order from us if you so choose. And in the closing weeks of this campaign, uh, it is crucial to make sure that all of our fellow citizens are not tricked into supporting uh, this evil pro-abortion initiative. So that's that's many of the ways that uh, we are asking uh, pro-life grassroots supporters to, to be proactive in uh, stopping this uh, pro-abortion initiative here in Florida. So Andrew, why did you decide on December 2nd as the day of action? Well, December 2nd is a great opening day for the closing phase of our decline to sign campaign, which we launched pretty much uh, uh, right after the pro-abortion uh, uh, initiative got going uh, in May of 2023. So uh, we are closing in on the final two months of the deadline. And this is a great way right uh, before the Christmas season gets going in earnest to galvanize the pro-life community here in Florida to take proactive um, a stance uh, against this initiative. And so we're asking pro-life grassroots advocates all across Florida to go uh, uh, in their own communities, at church, at public venues, and spread the word about declining to sign this uh, petition. So basically, if you're confronted with uh, a petition uh, uh, you know, and asked to sign it, we are uh, encouraging our uh, pro-life grassroots advocates uh, to tell their fellow citizens that they need to politely say, no way, I decline to sign this evil petition. Is there anything that out-of-state people can do to help the effort? Absolutely. We need prayer. We need prayer. Nothing can be accomplished on our own. Everything is reliant on God's will and in God's time. And we feel very strongly, based on the trajectory of our decline to sign campaign, which has seen a lot of success in slowing down the momentum of the pro-abortion side, especially in the last three months, we are confident that God will deliver the victory here in Florida sooner rather than later if we, as his uh, faithful, uh, continue to do his will. And that, again, means uh, being uh, proactive and not just being resigned to the fact that this uh, ballot initiative could appear uh, uh, in November of 2024. If we stop it now, this could be the game changer that the pro-life movement needs nationwide to regain the momentum that it had when the Dobbs decision was uh, handed down by the U.S. Supreme Court in June of 2022. 
Well, we'll certainly be doing our part at Priest for Life to spread the decline to sign message. And we really thank you for joining us um, this evening, Andrew, and we'll pray that your day of action is a big success. Thank you very much. Good night. Yeah, yeah, good night. As of today, there are abortion advocates in more than a dozen states already in the process of trying to get pro-abortion amendments on the ballot. A national pro-life leader said trying to keep up with them was like playing whack-a-mole. The best advice, no matter where you live, is if you are approached by someone with a petition about abortion, don't sign anything. Priests for Life through the American Freedom Law Center this week filed a Freedom of Information Act request to get to the bottom of the Biden administration's targeting of pro-life individuals and organizations and its increased scrutiny of traditional Catholics. National Director Frank Pavone said our organization is demanding more detailed information about exactly what the FBI and the Justice Department are hoping to achieve by going after pro-lifers. He explains more in this video. Hey, friends, I hope you saw the news. Priests for Life has demanded that the Biden administration tell us what they are doing in targeting pro-life people and traditional Catholics. We've seen the memos coming out of the FBI. We want more information. And so we're using the Freedom of Information Act, FOIA as it's called, making a legal request of the Department of Justice and the FBI to tell us what in the world is going on. And you and I both have a right to know because all of us who believe in pro-life are targets of this weaponized administration. We're going to get to the bottom of this and we'll keep you posted. Donald Trump had a good faith basis to question the results of the 2020 election. His lawyers said in demanding that prosecutors turn over any evidence related to voting irregularities and potential foreign interference in the contest won by Democrat Joe Biden. A defense motion filed late Monday in federal court in Washington asserts that Trump was not obligated to accept at face value the judgments of government officials who time and again found no widespread fraud in the election. It floats the possibility that foreign actors might have influenced the race and alleges that federal officials gave false assurances to the public about the security of the election that outpaced what the government actually knew. His lawyers wrote that it was not unreasonable at the time and certainly not criminal for President Trump to disagree with officials now favored by the prosecution and to rely instead on the independent judgment that the American people elected him to use while leading the country. The filing is the clearest indication yet that Trump's lawyers are hoping to sow doubt before a jury in the legitimacy of the race or at least make the case that his skepticism was justified and not motivated by criminal intent. The Republican Party's finances are increasingly worrisome to party members, advisors to former President Donald Trump, and other operatives involved in the 2024 election effort, according to 10 people familiar with the matter. The Republican National Committee disclosed that it had $9.1 million in cash on hand as of October 30th the lowest amount for the RNC in any Federal Election Commission report since February 2015. That compares with about $20 million at the same point in the 2016 election cycle and about $61 million four years ago when Trump was in the White House. The Democratic National Committee reported having $17.7 million as of October 30th, almost twice as much as the Republican Party, with one year before the election. 
In an interview, RNC Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel said donors are currently more focused on giving to individual candidates during the presidential primary and that the party's fortunes will improve once there's a nominee. I think there's more donors just fully committed to their candidate right now, saying I am all in, and once the nominee is set, I'll be there. That's what I hear more than anything. And they're really solidly in the camps of their candidate, which is normal, McDaniel said. There's nothing unusual about this because they know that once their candidate gets in, in that we will merge and that we'll be working together to win the White House. The political network financed largely by billionaire Charles Koch is endorsing former U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley, in the Republican primary, affording her new support against her Republican rivals in the fight to be the alternative to Donald Trump. The announcement was made in a memo to grassroots activists via the network's advocacy arm Tuesday and is being backed by a multi-million dollar ad campaign beginning this week in states that hold early primary contests and several that vote on Super Tuesday. When we announced our decision to engage in our first ever Republican presidential primary, we made it clear that we'd be looking for a candidate who can turn the page on our political dysfunction and win. It's clear that candidate is Nikki Haley. Emily Seidel, senior advisor to AFP Action said in a statement, Nikki Haley represents a new generation of leadership and offers a bold, positive vision for our future. AFP Action is proud to be endorsing her, and we will be doing everything we can to help make her the next president of the United States. And that's political news in a nutshell. The Texas Supreme Court on Tuesday heard oral arguments in a case that seeks to clarify and expand the circumstances when physicians can legally perform abortions. The Texas law allows abortion for mothers with life-saving emergencies, and in court, Beth Klusman from the Texas Attorney General's office said the problem is not the law, but in physicians' comprehension of it. If a woman is bleeding, if she has amniotic fluid running down her legs, then the problem is not with the law, Klusman said. It is with the doctors. The case was brought by the Center for Reproductive Rights on behalf of 20 women who had complicated pregnancies and two physicians. The suit is a challenge to the Texas heartbeat law that went into effect in September 2021. The specific question on Tuesday was whether a ban on the heartbeat law imposed by a lower court judge should be enforced until the case can be fully heard in April 2024. The justices have not yet issued an opinion, and so the law remains in place. Massachusetts is an abortion-friendly state with few laws protecting the unborn and their mothers. This week, Governor Maura Healey released a new tool to help college administrators in the state make it even easier for students to abort their children. The governor and the Reproductive Equity Now Foundation launched the Medication Abortion Toolkit to help colleges and universities come up with their state-mandated abortion readiness plan. Eight schools in the state are 15 miles or more from the nearest killing center, and for the governor, that is just too far. On Monday, Idaho asked the U.S. Supreme Court to allow its law that would impose penalties on doctors who perform abortions to be enacted, while a challenge against it continues in state court. The Idaho law, enacted after Roe v. Wade was overturned, allows the state to prosecute or revoke the medical licenses of physicians who perform abortion, except in limited circumstances. The law originally was challenged by the Biden administration, which argued that it violated the Federal Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act. Rulings have gone back and forth in federal district and appeals courts, so the Supreme Court is the last step. Idaho is asking for the law to be enacted while the case continues. 
pro-abortion Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer signed eight bills last week that eliminated regulations on the abortion industry and protections for pregnant mothers. Among other things, the bills repeal licensing requirements for abortion facilities, remove the state's partial birth abortion ban from the public health code, and eliminate guidelines for the disposal of fetal remains. Barbara Listing, president of Right to Life of Michigan, said the bills present an immediate danger to the health and safety of women and children in the state. Attacks against pro-lifers are not confined to the U.S. In Rome on Sunday, during a demonstration for the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women, protesters turned violent, throwing Molotov cocktails at the headquarters of Pro Vita and Familia, a pro-life and pro-family organization. The protesters attempted to set fire to the building, but were stopped by police. A spokesman for the pro-life organization said police found an undetonated explosive inside the building the following day. And finally, a study conducted by economists at the Georgia Institute of Technology and Middlebury College found that 32,000 more babies were born in the six months after Roe was overturned in states that protect the unborn from abortion. Comparing birth rates between states that restrict and allow abortion, the researchers found that the states with protective laws experienced 2.3% more births. The researchers estimate that 20 to 25% of women seeking abortions chose life instead. And that's abortion in the news. Last week, we lost a pro-life warrior, Chris Slattery, a stalwart pro-life advocate who established a network of pregnancy help centers in New York and stood up against government officials and abortion industry leaders, died November 22nd after a long struggle with cancer. He was 68 and died at Calvary Hospice in the Bronx. In an April 2022 interview with the Catholic outlet Alatea, knowing he might just have two or three years to live, he said, I'm going to die with my boots on. This month, he turned over his operation, EMC Frontline, formerly Expectant Mother Care, to Compass Care Pregnancy Services under the leadership of the Reverend James Harden. Expectant Mother Care saved upwards of 2,000 babies a year. Chris often pointed out that EMC was situated in the belly of the beast, New York, often referred to as the abortion capital of America, having one of the highest abortion rates in the nation. Since its founding almost four decades ago, EMC has saved 43,000 lives. We at Priests for Life have been working with Chris Slattery for more than 30 years, and we honored him this year with the Pro-Life Recognition Award at the National Prayer Service on the morning of the March for Life in January. National Director Frank Pavone noted that he and Executive Director Janet Marana first met Chris when Pavone was a parish priest at St. Charles Church on Staten Island, and Janet was a parishioner. We came to know him well from meeting him at many events, including life chains in Manhattan, Pavone said. He was so front and center in the legal battles surrounding abortion that he understood early on that there is no place to escape from the battle that the other side launches against the pro-life effort. He understood that in the abortion battle, there is no safe place where one can be above the fray, no matter how compassionate or non-confrontational the work is. After he was diagnosed with two aggressive cancers, his deep faith and his passion for pro-life kept him going, attending meetings at Priests for Life headquarters in Florida and pro-life leaders meetings in Washington, D.C. and throughout the country. He even went on an African safari in September, a trip he had on his bucket list. He told me, I'm going to keep on living, and he did, Mrs. Morana recalled. He lived life to the fullest. Pavone said whether it was fighting the legal fury of the pro-aborts or then with his illness, fighting against that with such a determined spirit has really been an inspiration for people. He fought the pro-life battle with a New York spirit. Please enjoy this short video tribute to an amazing pro-life warrior, Chris Slattery.
Gates. He's an amazing man who has followed the Lord and followed this calling to be a voice for the voiceless. Uh, my organization has actually traded interns with him in the summertime. His come and work with ours, ours go and work with his. Uh, the work he's done in New York City with the Pregnancy Help Centers is absolutely invaluable. It's, it's so amazing. Um, he's just somebody who you can look up to as a young person and say that that person gave their life for this cause. Chris Slattery is a New Yorker's New Yorker, right? But with a smile, right? Uh, and a, a truly holy presence. In my college years, I could say that I fell away from the faith and then got into advertising and in the, within a year of starting an advertising career in Manhattan, I met some serious, dedicated Christians and changed my life and then discovered the pro-life movement, and then got involved. And that involvement started in 1979, um, my first March for Life to overturn Roe versus Wade was in 1980. So I have been at activism for life for over 40 years, and uh, one of the the biggest things I did was to found Expectant Mother Care, the first pregnancy center organization in New York City, which was uh, aborting babies since 1970, three years before Roe v. Wade allowed it in every state in the Union. Now, New York is the abortion capital of America, in fact, of the Western world. We've had more abortions performed and uh, higher rates of abortion and more abortion facilities and more abortion organizations based here than any other American city. We're there to help women overcome their challenge of an unexpected pregnancy. And that's been uh, the whole mission of the pregnancy centers across America uh, since the 70s to enable women to make a freer choice, a better educated choice, a choice where she doesn't feel so much pressure uh, when she feels alone. We stand with her, we stand beside her in pregnancy centers. Well, their vision is to make sure the best they can that every person conceived is born alive and given an opportunity to live. And a fulfilled life. They are trying to help women see the truth so that they will never ever ever want to have an abortion. They're not only trying to stop women from having an abortion today but from having an abortion for the rest of their lives to help women become pro-life and to love God in the process because only God can convert our hearts and change our minds especially about things so embedded um, like pro-choice and abortion. He takes care of people who need help. He takes care of women and children and that's God's work to be showing love and compassion for those that are in need. They don't have to go through everything alone. They don't have to feel like they're by themselves. So I was looking for something where I could make a difference. And so into the two weeks, I get a call from Chris. We want you to come in, but let me tell you right off the bat that this is what we want, this is our mission. This is what we do, we save lives. And, and so I said, Chris, you don't need to sell me on the mission. I applied because I am that mission. I mean, my mission here, working here, is when I get the women in the door, I just want them to see that 
sometimes you, the baby, you hear the baby, but you don't realize the baby is real until you actually see it. So that's my selling point. When they come, I show them the baby, I explain everything. Nobody should have to go through it alone. They don't have to. And there's no stigma attached anymore to being that unwed mother. Now it's, it's more of that. But uh, so we try to show them with compassion and understanding. We, we get it, but nobody's forcing. You know, and they have to understand that no, this is not a forced decision on you. So I first learned about it through my friend. Uh, she is trying to go and get a sonogram, and she, she doesn't know where she can get it, and she looked up online, and she found this place, which is pretty awesome. This is my second day volunteering, and I love it because I feel it's time for me to get back to what I need to do in, in regards to give an actual choice and give actual decisions to a lot of women, especially being that I'm a five-time post-abortive woman. What has Chris Slattery meant to the pro-life movement, Lauren? Literally everything. He was, I, I would I would argue, one of the first to like institutionalize a, uh, the concept of like a sidewalk counseling ministry. I mean, it, and it's just like the amount of babies he has, he has saved or trained and the people he has trained. And it's just like, I wouldn't be a sidewalk counselor without his influence, without his guidance. And it's just like, it's amazing to be able to call him a friend. Chris Slattery is one of the most unique committed pro-lifers the world has ever known. He, is, he, he's, he, he has what he did and what he has done with his pregnancy help centers in New York was, was actually ahead of, ahead of his, uh, our time in a sense. He's for, he foresaw that, that there has to be this need to reach out and to help the moms. So it's not only about the babies, it's about the mothers and God bless this, he's an absolute hero. Yeah. And, I, and I, hope he, I hope he, you know, will be with us for a long time yet. Yeah, Chris has been an all-star for us. I mean, he is, uh, I say he is one of the toughest but best pro-life internships. If you intern from New York City, he puts you in front of an abortion clinic that next day to the sidewalk console and help women. And that's not for everybody, but for those who go through it, it's a great program. And he's done great work in a very tough city. New York City is the abortion capital of the world, but expecting mother cares, you know, help thousands of women, save thousands of lives. And again, he's just a tremendous, tremendous asset. This is the monthly Witness for Life procession in Manhattan uh, from the Basilica of Old St. Patrick's in between Mott Street and Mulberry Street. What we do here influences people around the world. We have to stand up for life as an example to pro-lifers throughout the world, not just in the city of New York. I mean, we're pretty badly outnumbered here by pro-boards, but I've seen a lot of perversity. I've seen a lot of depravity, vulgarity, blasphemy, but it's pretty nasty here on this front line. This is, uh, this is the intensity of the pro-boards. We're trying to shut down our pregnancy centers. They are foaming at the mouth to cripple pregnancy centers. There's a collaborated effort between the media, the pro-boards, and the politicians to cripple and shut down alternatives to abortion. Touching hearts and changing lives. 
and that's really what we do. We can't save a baby's life if we can't touch the heart of a mother, sometimes even a father. I greet the clients when they first come in, make sure that they're okay, and make sure that they have all the information that they need, the paperwork that they need, to let all women know what, what lies on the table when they're pregnant so they can know all of their options. They are trying to help women see the truth so that they will never, ever, ever want to have an abortion. To help women become pro-life and to love God in the process because only God can convert our hearts and change our minds, especially about things so embedded um, like pro-choice and abortion. You find out where, where they're coming from and you try to offer that understanding and enlightenment to them and that you know you are loved and this is you can do the prayer with them and we have done that and we've gone to outside of the portion those and you pray in front of them you're praying not just for the women that come in but for the doctors that may be performing these uh, abortions what I like about EMC is when they come here we have like a little family and we all talk to them and try to get to the core of the problems sometimes women are lost and they don't know that they have other options and they just need a place to go to, to talk to, and see that other people are here to support them. So I do feel that we have that here. I believe that life begins at conception. I certainly believe that there are babies who are unborn and they are humans, they're babies. I have two grandchildren, they're a blessing, and I wish other people could have the same kind of blessing that I've had. I was so scared with my son. I made a appointment to an abortion center and I was just like I can't go I can't go I feel like I had an epiphany I feel like God was like you know things are gonna be all right things are gonna be right I prayed a lot I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I, you know what things are going really good with my son I cannot imagine my life without him like and I made the best decision I think I could ever to speak to the, the um, young women when they come into the office and to bring God into the message. Then they know that they're loved. They're not alone, that they are loved, and that we do care. And to absolutely no one's surprise, Chris Slattery, who was undergoing aggressive treatment for stage four cancer, traveled to the nation's capital to support the pro-life activist who exposed horrific late-term abortion deaths and to demand justice for the babies. Images of, of uh, late-term uh, murdered children are what actually got me motivated to dedicate my life to this cause. To see again uh, so viscerally these late-term aborted babies that were brought here to this building uh, from pro-lifers that came out of a late-term abortion clinic in D.C. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a special moment that we have to remember these children are being murdered past viability across our country legally and here, what a disgrace in the nation's capital. And that's why God made street fighters like Slattery a New York City street fighter for life. We're very brassy, okay? We, we, uh, we take a lot of abuse and we give it back, you know? Uh, so, yeah, I think God picked a man and he picked a, uh, an advertising sales type guy uh, that, uh, to do this because he knew what I was gonna go through. 
in terms of five attorney generals trying to shut me down, New York City trying to shut me down, uh, all kinds of obstacles that it takes a tough guy to handle, you know? But knowing that God is on my side, that's my strength. God is always on the side of the pro-life movement. And he's won the ultimate victory. I mean, he already died for us on the cross. We've been saved. We've been redeemed. Humanity is redeemed. We can go to heaven. We can, we can, we have to live this out. But when we see children murdered by the mass millions, uh, I mean, many of us have got to dedicate our lives to this cause. And when I finally, it was in jail that I realized I was exactly in the right place. That's where God wanted me. And then I realized he wants me to give my life to this cause, which I did in 1990. So being a disciple of Christ is following after his ways and re reading the Bible, studying his word, and bringing other people along with you. So um, I also do a lot of evangelism on the street. This is a, a calling that I have. I believe all of us as Christians have this calling, but I, I spend a lot of time doing evangelism. But I do believe that Jesus is our savior and the children is important <laughs> and life is there. I don't know, I can't explain it, but it's just, Oh, you have you have to be more Christ-like. You have to um, show through your actions, your words, of course, but your actions, that you are a disciple of Christ. What does that mean? You have to make some sacrifices. You you talk to people. You reach out to people. For me to be a disciple, um, that means for me to follow in the love of Christ always, and that's just following and. That's simple as that, following the love of Christ, being lovable, loving um, humanity, loving the human beings and stuff like that. And so for me, being a disciple of Christ means that I am his hands, I am his feet, I am his mouthpiece, and I have to represent him in everything that I say and or do. There was a holy, a very good holy man who once said, uh, Lord, you, um, I don't have to, you don't have to teach me how to forgive, you've taught me how to love. When you love, and you love and that means from within true sacrificial love like our Lord loved remember he said that you know love others as I have loved you so it wasn't it's not this mushy stuff it's it's truly giving of yourself for other human beings because I've known a lot of women who, who haven't had much or barely anything and it's their kids struggle and it's really hard so like foundations like this is really important for people really really important you have to know that you need a savior. You have to know that you're a sinner and that your only savior is Jesus Christ. Your only hope in this world is Jesus Christ. So first and foremost, you need salvation. And the Lord opens your eyes and opens your heart to realize your need. If we don't bring in God's grace and invite him into every meeting and encounter that we have, he is the only one that can change hearts and change minds. We're just advocates. We're just tools that he uses. And so I believe that we we save a baby by touching the hearts and the minds of the parents. And wherever you see pro-lifers on the street united to save the least of these, 
It's a testament to men like Chris Slattery, who will be fighting for the lives of others until his last breath. I battled past uh, terminal cancer when I was 15 years old. I had uh, six months of radiation treatment for lymphosarcoma. Now I have colon cancer, which is in my lungs too. Uh, but uh, God uses the sacrifice and the suffering. I have to offer that up. No problem. You can definitely support this ministry with your prayers, but, but absolutely they need your finances. New York City abortion is king here, and the abortion clinics are so well funded. Um, fun, helping a place like Chris Slattery's EMC Frontline Pregnancy Centers is a very good use of your money, and it's actually the Lord's money, to be able to save lives, to be able to uh, pay for um, ultrasound, diapers, wipes, formula, car seats, and strollers, and the rent the rent in New York City is, is astronomical. You can get in contact with Frontline, EMC Frontline Pregnancy Centers um, just to come to volunteer. Volunteering a center may not always be for everybody, but you know, like the seniors, as I know my husband has mentioned, um, they may not come in as much like a young person. He has his intern program, I know, that comes from uh, all over the world. Um, we're, all, we're just struggling continually in New York because of what we're trying to overcome, always financial help. Yeah. Say prayers. Pr God answers prayer. Uh, financial. Uh, Chris has some fundraisers during the year. He's raised money at St. Patrick's, at St. Joseph's, and other churches, and that would be good. And physical work. Uh, I'm an old retiree, but uh, I can still do a few things. So uh, I'm here doing uh, just some grunt work, uh, just moving boxes, and I'm happy to do it. Prayer is probably the, the biggest weapon that we have, if you want to use, call it a weapon and then donations so we can help people like Chris. Last fall, uh, we got involved with Chris's baby bottle uh, campaign. The people in our parish, in coin and checks obviously, donated over $11,000. It's a lot of ways to get involved. I guess you can donate, that helps. There's a lot of people or mothers out there who don't have help for diapers, milk. Um, people can help support what different locations people can go to, knowing that they have, like, I think the nuns they have, and they have, I think, Great Hope, where they have, like, uh, apartments for these women to go to if they have nobody at home to help them. There's just so many ways to get involved. We need volunteers in every aspect. We need people who can help us um, minister to these women. We need people who will come out and say, I'll walk with you. Um, you don't have to go through this process alone. A lot of women, they come in, and they're not really, um, they're single parents. They'll be single parents if they decide to keep their child. So they do need that financial assistance and they need, need the assistance with the items that they would need as a parent. Thank you so much for joining us on Pro-Life Primetime News, produced at Priest for Life headquarters in Titusville, Florida. If you like our show, please support us by making a donation to ProLifeGift.org. These donations help fund all of our work here at Priests for Life, which enables us to continue educating, equipping, and activating God's people to end abortion. For all your pro-life news updates during the week, please follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter, 
at Pro-Life News Show. I'm Teresa Watson, Executive Manager. I'm Leslie Palma, Communications Director. Remember, life is the only choice. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.